Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Earlier this month, a man was dropped off at Northumberland Hills Hospital with a gunshot wound. After an OPP investigation, a police raid took place on a property within Alderville First Nation. Shortly after, the band council took action to remove the people living on that property. On today's show, Alderville First Nation's chief, Dave Mowat, will explain why he and the band council took these serious steps. More importantly, he will delve into these unique powers and why they are so important to keeping his community safe. I'm so pleased to have with me today... Alderville First Nations Chief Dave Mowat, welcome back to Consider This. Thanks, Rob. Nice to be here again. On March 16, 2023, you and members of the Alderville Band Council, along with the OPP escort, went to an address on Sherer Point Road to evict a man and his tenant, asking them to leave the reserve. Can we begin by explaining why you did this? Well, as the media reported, um, there was a man that was dropped off at Northumberland Hills Hospital on uh, in the early morning hours of March 7th um, with gunshot wounds, and there wasn't much more to that story. Um, and then on the following evening of May 8th, uh, I got some local community intelligence uh, from uh, some of my um, colleagues on the reserve here that there was some uh, action on the west end of the reserve, the west, uh, the west reserve, we call it. Um, there were cars on the side, parked on the side of the roads uh, on the reserve, and uh, we didn't quite know what, what was going on. And so um, I drove over, and a few, of, a few others were uh, driving around, and we were basically harassing these cars because we didn't know what they were doing. And um, as it turns out, the next morning there was an OPP raid at the address on Sheer Point Road. And um, and then, uh, so that was March 9th. And then uh, between March 9th and the 16th, we met with the OPP on a few occasions and determined uh, what had occurred allegedly occurred at this uh, at, at the particular address and we're not stupid on the reserve we know what's going on and um, and so with that intelligence and with uh, um, the information that we were receiving from the OPP we then decided to issue it a BCR and serve it on the uh, the, the, the individuals that were residing at that, that, that address. How much evidence do you need to take the kind of action you did when you went out to speak to this individual? Well, um, I just uh, want to be cognizant of the fact that there's probably still an investigation going on. So 
I, I just want to be cautious in, in that. But um, had there not been this kind of an OPP intervention, it probably would have made it a little more difficult for us to to do what we did. Um, so I just want to make that clear that with what occurred, and this was a pretty serious raid that occurred. Uh, I was there. I talked to um, some of the uh, emergency response team officers um, the morning that it was going down. And um, um, so had that not happened, it probably would have been a little more difficult for us to do what we did. Um, but we do know that the man that was staying there is a non-member and his tenant is a non-member. And um, um, so through the OPP investigation, through our meetings with the, with the OPP, we were um, satisfied that we had enough to go on to issue that BCR. So can you explain to us the actions that you took and what exactly happened? So, um, so based on the information that we were getting from the OPP, um, and they're not just not just the community police, but the detectives, um, investigating detectives, um, they came to the office uh, a couple of times and we met with them internally. And the information we were getting, um, we knew. We knew already. We already knew there was some shady business going on. Um, and then, of course, uh, just to retrace a few of my steps, the, the investigation and the raid that occurred, had that not occurred, it would have made it a little more difficult for us to do what, to do what we did. Um, but that blew it wide open. So it actually helped us. Um, make the decision to write a BCR and then to go up and serve it on March 16th. So so what is a BCR, uh, just before we go any further, what is a BCR? Yeah, a BCR is a band council resolution, and it, it just lays out council's intent. Um, and we, you know, we signed a number of BCRs for an array of issues, uh, you know, uh, accepting uh, uh, funding, for instance, or, or, or what have you. And in this case, we, we wrote a BCR trespass PCR. And um, we also have a, a trespass uh, a nuisance bylaw. We That's on the books, actually. Uh, the problem with that is the OPP will not enforce it. Um, but all that aside, the fact that there was uh, a, uh, an alleged shooting at this particular address, and the fact that there was a, a large raid that occurred, that gave us enough information and, ed- and evidence to write the BCR and then to um, arrange to serve it uh, on, at 6.30 p.m. on March 16th. And uh, in setting that up, uh, I arranged for media to be present, and I also uh, called the OPP, and uh, one of their constables came out as uh, uh, an escort, keep the peace and so there was uh, ourselves the media local media uh, four counselors uh, sorry three counselors myself two media representatives and about 10 community members 
and we walked up the driveway, and I knocked on the door. I knocked twice, actually. The second knock, uh, the individual came to the door, and I, ser- I served him the BCR. And uh, I said, um, uh, we're here to order you off the reserve. We're, uh, I basically said, we're not stupid. We know what's going on. There was a raise here the other day, or last week, and, and we're asking you to leave. And uh, we asked if there was anybody else in the house, and there was actually. Um, and they're both non-members. And um, he asked me, when is this supposed to happen? And I said, I think something like, well, you can leave right now if you like. Um, I got a bit of a chuckle from a few people. Um, and, of course, we knew that um, he wasn't, you know, going to leave immediately. And so what we did is we basically negotiated a 48-hour window in which he had to leave. Dave, I, I, I'd like to just jump in here for a moment because some people may be listening and and not appreciate just how it is that the band council has that kind of power to ask somebody to leave the reserve. Can you explain how it is your band council can take that kind of action, please? Every band council in Canada has that authority. Under Section 81 of the Indian Act, um, a trespass is um, uh, is named in Section 181 of the Indian Act. We have, we have bylaw-making power to trespass people off the reserve. I want to read you a quote from the Canadian Legal Information Institute. I want to, I want to read you a quick quote. Since Europeans first arrived in North America, both governments and private individuals have interfered with Aboriginal Canadians' right to use and enjoy their traditional territories. Canadian history is rife with with examples of the alienation and damage of Indian lands in circumstances that were not morally, that were not only morally reprehensible, but also often contrary to the laws of the day. So trespass on Indian lands is a historical problem, and it was referenced in the Royal Proclamation of 1763. And so every band council in Canada has this power. If somebody is on the reserve and they're not a member and they're up to criminal activity, we can trespass them off the reserve. And that is a fact of life and a fact of law. Is there any similar parallel in any other place outside the Indigenous context where a political body has the power to evict people from their home? really don't know. Um, I suppose in the case of, uh, I don't want to mention his name, but I know I was talking to an individual uh, who uh, was involved in a uh, famous crime uh, a number of years ago um, and um, basically was told, we don't want you here. And But I don't know what they would have hung that on, what they could hang that on. Um, but uh, I really don't know of any other jurisdiction in Canada that has that trespass power. I'm not aware of that. I I certainly know that we do. Now, when you come out to Alderville or any reserve as an invited guest, there's no problem. If you come to entrench yourself in the reserve and you're selling fentanyl, crack, meth, you know, you name it, illegal drugs, and you're up to violent uh, criminal activity, we're going to get you off the reserve. You have no right to be here to do that. 
And, and that's not unique to Alderville. I, I'm aware of the fact that there are other bans that um, prohibit uh, alcohol consumption and it, it send people off uh, who are trying to distribute alcohol or right. um, other addictive, uh, addictive materials. So it, this is not unique to Alderville. Am I correct in that? That's right. That's correct. You're not, that's not, we're not, uh, you know, we're not a unique case. That's, uh, that's a fact of life in, in Canadian, uh, First Nations history. Um, you know, whether it's people bootlegging booze into dry reserves, there's dry reserves in Canada, you know, that's, that's a serious crime. Um, or whether it's people moving drugs into, uh, into dry reserves, um, it's a problem. This has been a problem across the country. In some communities, like the Mohawk communities, the Mohawk warriors might just take you by the arm and take you right off the reserve themselves. So the uh, the person, the people involved here in Alderville, they should be just they should be lucky that we were uh, as cordial as we were. Now, how often have you invoked this trespass clause um, uh, for this council? Yeah, in my time, I've been on council now. I'm coming down to the end of my 12th year on council. I was on the band council for eight years from 2007 to 2015. I was involved in one trespass during that term or during that time. And since I was elected chief, elected chief, there's been three trespass orders invoked. Is it for the same reasons, or were they similar, or uh, was it for completely different uh, for completely different reasons? Um, actually, different reasons. Yes, uh, the others involved uh, reasons that were not drug related, okay, or or violent crime. Uh, you know, not involving say guns. Uh, there was, a, I, I would say, there was a violence uh, related to the other two issues. Uh, but not drugs per se. Okay. But uh, three three times since I've been elected chief. Now the individual involved said he had family relations who lived in Alderville. We don't know what he's talking about. Okay. And what happened with the property? His former partner, she was a band member, and she passed away last July, twenty twenty two. So he was there living with her as her partner. Um, under our matrimonial real property law, uh, a partner, uh, a non-native, non-member spouse, has the right to stay in the matrimonial home, but there's conditions. So what happens to the property now? Well, um, so... Because um, the individual, the band member, passed away intestate, there is a process whereby um, either the partner or a family member can apply to be the executor of the will. And um, and so that's a process that, um, you know, plays out all the time. It plays out all the time, Um, especially if somebody passes away intestate, then there's sort of that whole administrative process of, applying to be the administrator or executor uh, of the estate. So that's that's a process that happens all the time. If there's a will, it's, it's a little cleaner, but um, it's not like 
uh, you know, a lot of people die intestate. Um, and so that's a sort of a, it's a legal administrative sort of thing that has to occur. Um, so right now, I, I'm not really sure what's happening with the property, but I'm in constant contact with the sister of the deceased member. And so um, all I'll say is that she's being uh, involved in applying to be the administrator of the, of the estate. A large portable sign was placed in the middle of the driveway. What was the purpose of it and what did it say? Uh, the purpose of that was to warn anybody that wants to come out, uh, band members, uh, basically warning them um, to uh, that we will not tolerate uh, illegal drug activity or violent crime. Uh, by order of chief and counsel, we placed that sign there um, on the evening of actually March 16th. Um, basically, the sign is a warning. Don't you're not welcome in Alderville First Nation. If you're going to come out here and try to deal crack and meth and fentanyl, um, you're not welcome. And we're going to do what we can to keep our community safe. We also dropped a 400-pound concrete block in the middle of the driveway um, to uh, obstruct any traffic from, from going up in there. Um, so that's, that's, the, that's the message. Don't come to Alderville to try to, 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 try to deal illegal drugs. Um, or we're going to do everything in our power to remove you. Why was it so important, though, Dave, that, that you do such a physical manifestation of that message through the sign and through the concrete block? Because people are dying. People are dying from this. Um, not just band members, but, you know, this is, a, this is an epidemic across Canada. And if First Nations people, along with others, don't make that message clear, then the drug dealers are going to entrench themselves, and they're going to victimize innocent people. And um, uh, I've seen enough of it in my life to know that I'm not going to take this sitting down. And so the message has to be strong. It has to be clear. And it's a message to other First Nations as well. It's a message to other First Nations that stand up, and get rid of these people because it's destroying young people. I can tell you, Rob, I know people that are destroyed by it, uh, be it, you know, the opioids, uh, be it meth, be it uh, fentanyl. Uh, I, I have firsthand knowledge of, uh, of that, and it's, it's a terrible thing. And I think we all know um, how it cre has creeped, crept into society and, and what it's doing to young people. Not just young people, but people of all stripes. You know, it's, it's destroying lives and families. Has the person left? Yes, the person has left. They left. They left uh, just as they said they would. Um, they were actually gone within 48 hours. We went back on the Saturday, uh, March 18th, uh, to make sure they were gone. They were gone. We boarded up the house, and that's when we we put the sign out. Uh, and put the 400-pound concrete block in the middle of the driveway. So they were gone, and, and we, uh, we know they were. And then uh, I had some correspondence with the Northumberland Legal Center, I think it's called, from the one particular individual. Uh, 
but yes, they were gone. They took it seriously, which is good. You know, they didn't, they didn't, uh, um, they didn't play games with us. They took it seriously, and we appreciate that. What What was the correspondence from the legal center? Uh, just simply very brief correspondence that um, Mr. So and So wanted to come back and get some belongings, but there had already been somebody there. Uh, on his behalf, picking up belongings. What are we supposed to know, right? We don't know how these people live. They live like bats. I'm sorry, but, you know, we don't know how they live. Uh, as far as we're concerned, we just wanted him out of here. If, uh, you know, we, you, he had two days to arrange to get whatever he needed to get out of that house. Don't be phoning me a week later or five days later whining about, I need this or I need that. It ain't going to happen. Unless... You can find a lawyer and you want to put a claim in for your matrimonial real property rights, you go right ahead. But uh, that hasn't happened yet. Um, so, you know, it's we had to take a firm stand. We had to drop the hammer. And we are quite satisfied that at least these two individuals that we know of are gone. At least removed from all there were several rituals performed. Prior to speaking to the individual, there was a smudging ritual. And what was the significance of this? Afterwards, there was a group of women that sang. What was the significance of that as well? Um, the one woman uh, was our elder and counselor, Nora Sawyer, former chief, actually, of Alderville. She's former chief of Alderville from uh, 1987 to 1991 and then 1993 to 95. She's on our council now. She's our elder. And um, the significance of that was um, to just show that we care about the community, um, that we're taking back our community, that we want our community to be safe. Um, and the significance of that is simply that... Um, you know, we, in Alderville, um, this is Alderville. So when in Alderville, do as Alderville does. And basically what we were saying is that we, we, uh, we're um, tapped into our collective strength as a council. We were tapping into the strength of the community to relay a message. And uh, I, I think that was what it was women did was a culmination of, of that entire process of, of uh, trespassing this individual and uh, making it uh, sort of known that we're taking back our community and that we won't put up with this. Policing and law enforcement on a reserve is a complex issue. Can you explain how policing works in Alderville? So uh, we, um, we are policed not by any agreement, per se, by the OPP. Um, but um, the OPP are reactionary for us. Um, they, they're not in the community a great deal. Um, there's been a troubled history between the OPP and Alderville. I know I've been around here a long time, and I can remember some of the, the challenges we had with the OPP going back uh, over two decades. But uh, it has uh, it's become a much better uh, um, uh, relationship. Um, but it's uh, our concern is that there's not a community policing presence. Um, they
they might they might not agree with that, but we know that um, there's not a strong enough presence in our community um, with the OPP. So what we've actually been attempting to do is is to create our own service here. Uh, in fact, um, we were funded by Canada and Ontario. Hiawatha First Nation and ourselves were funded to do a Hiawatha First Nation and Alderville First Nations uh, First Nation a policing assessment study, and that study was done completed in February 2022, and uh, Ontario and Canada they have that report. In fact, I just sent another letter to um, three ministers, uh, two federal ministers. Marco Mendocino of Public Safety Canada and Mark Miller, Indigenous Crown Relations Canada, as well as uh, the Solicitor General of Ontario. And I was, uh, I sent that letter just recently ask, asking them to reset the engagement and the process of, of what was occurring here at Alderville and Hiawatha regarding our own police service. So our, our hope and our desire and our wish is to have a community policing presence that will help to offset this kind of criminal activity that has occurred. That has occurred. And I know it's a big ask. It's a huge ask. Um, policing is expensive all across the land, as we should all know. Um, but it's uh, there's a lot of ambiguity with uh, policing on reserve. It's a very complex jurisdictional issue. Um, it's all well and good to have bylaws here, but if there's no prosecutorial mechanism at the provincial level, then it's all for naught. So while we might wish for policing, we also need the prosecutors and the Crown attorneys to get on board and to prosecute our bylaws. So it's a huge, complex issue that the federal government knows exists. In fact, in the budget 2021, um, there was monies put at uh, increasing the um, First Nations policing program um, and also filling the legislative void. Uh, I know it's a slow process, but uh, it is on the government's table, and we can only hope that it happens sooner than, than later. Prior to the legalization of cannabis, there were numerous outlets in Alderville. It was a, a major center, in fact. Now, what actions did the band council and the community take when this was going on to address illegal drugs prior to the legalization of cannabis? Well, I wasn't around. Um, I didn't wasn't elected. I wasn't elected till July, um, whatever it was, July fifth, two thousand nineteen. That's after the legalization of cannabis. Um, and I was uh, I was off the band council. 2015. So there was that period between 2015 and 2019 in which I wasn't uh, involved in the politics here. I was working over at Scugog Island First Nation. I know there had been an attempt by a non-member to set up uh, a cannabis dispensary in uh, one of the properties here on the on the reserve. The individual was uh, arrested and charged. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to that. And all I know, uh, Rob, is that um, when the legalization of cannabis, the lead up to that, uh, I don't ever remember there being any consultation at the local First Nation level here. 
I was involved in um, helping Scugog Island First Nation Chief and Council sort of get their head around the issue over there. Um, but I know that um, there was a great lack of consultation on the part of the federal government, on the part of Alderville First Nation. Um, there should have been a thorough and fulsome consultation process that should have been set out by the federal government. Uh, it's all well and good that legalization of cannabis occurred, uh, but the federal government did not enter into a consultation process with the First Nations. That was very hurtful, uh, hurtful and not so, not emotionally, but hurtful in the way of how it created huge influx of traffic, of strangers, uh, criminal activity, um, and I told the Attorney General of Canada in January 2020, before the uh, pandemic hit, in a public meeting, I said, if you were running a gas line up through Alderville, you'd still be consulting us. But when it came to legalization of cannabis, Justin Trudeau and Jody Wilson-Raybould, they, uh, you know, they were giggling together and, and uh, they, they put their, their, their legislation through. And here we are dealing with the effect of that. Um, so it was a really sad oversight on the part of the federal government that, that they wouldn't have entered into a full consultation process with the First Nations to determine what the impact would be. And so here we are. And we're still waiting for the federal legislative review on that, by the way. Um, that's, that's long overdue as well. You spoke in your press conference about keeping Alderville safe. Beyond the steps you've taken in this incident, what else is the band council doing to ensure that the community is safe? Well, uh, on the on the policing front, we uh, have a much more open communication with the OPP, um, and we uh, are sort of we gather intel when we need it. So, just so you know, and and your uh, listeners know. Um, we do communicate with the OPP. Uh, they communicate with us as well. And um, nobody knows who has eyes on anybody here in the community. Um, back to that March 8th evening when the cars were parked on the side of the roads and myself and a former chief texted me and a few others, we were over there uh, driving around wondering who these people were. You know who they were? They were the undercover cops. And I was pulling up behind some of these people with putting my headlights on and harassing them. And they just left. And I talked to uh, one of the undercover cops after the fact, and he said, um, that was me, actually. Um, and I thought, he got a chuckle out of that because he thought, wow, I was only parked there for 10 minutes before you guys started to come around and, um, and, and harass us. And he said, that's pretty impressive. So, you know, uh, internally on the reserve, um, we have our own form of communication and our own form of keeping eyes on things as well. And uh, I wrote that in my letter to the, the three ministers that, um, um, you know, we're not just sitting here, in a, it's not a void here where there's no policing. We have our own form of policing our community as well. Um, so, um Responsible members of our community are always keeping eyes on things. 
I just got a message this morning from an individual, a band member on the reserve, concerned about speeding on one of the concession roads. Um, and so there's a lot of responsible people in Oliveville concerned about the safety uh, of their neighborhoods, uh, the safety of the roads, and uh, that's a good thing. What's next? What's next? Well, um, I'm going to be um, waiting for a reply on my recent letter to the three ministers regarding the reset of the policing assessment. Um, uh, so I will be um, waiting patiently for that to see what kind of a reply we get. I know the federal budget came down yesterday. I haven't, uh, I haven't uh, gone into any detail on the budget and what it says about First Nations policing, but I will be uh, boring into that to see um, to, to see what it uh, it says and to see how it's building on what it said in 2021. Um, what's next? We are still this council and the former council are still set on our own community policing. Um, uh, I should also say that we had a First Nations land management vote on March 18th, and it was successfully passed. Uh, First Nations land management, that might be another subject we'll want to talk about in the future. That's a very complex issue in which the First Nation will take back uh, the 40-plus provisions that are in the, in the Indian Act related to land and the authority over land. And so we will... Uh, it's a, basically it's a, a sectoral self-government agreement, First Nations land management. So that's a big, huge piece that we are now having to take on because the ratification vote was successful. Um, there's lots going on, Rob. Uh, we're buying land, we're buying more land. So as Alderville gets bigger physically, uh, that's going to increase the need for, for policing, community policing. So. It's a, uh, it's quite a, uh, it's quite a task keeping uh, a handle on everything that's uh, moving and shaking and coming down. But uh, glad to be here to do it. Dave Mowat, I want to thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been a pleasure, Rob. Thank you. That was Dave Mowat, Chief of Alderville First Nation. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.